Turning to Galatians chapter 4, which is our text, let me just say again how very happy I am to be with you. It's a joy to be with you, um, uh, and I, I appreciate the invitation from, from Parker, and I certainly hope the Lord will uh, be with him and his, his family in this, and it will be a time of refreshment for him while he's away from the, the pulpit. Our text this morning is Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, really focusing on verses 4 and 5. Give your attention, please, to God's most perfect and holy word. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba. Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Thus far, God's most holy and perfect word. And may the Spirit of our God bring those words home to all our hearts with power. Let us pray. Father, by your Spirit, enable me to to speak truthfully about your word, to show something of your glorious work. For ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. For everything, there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. Time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh. These are the famous words of the preacher in Ecclesiastes about time, and you know he goes on to say more about what there is time for. Time is one of those words that is found many times in the Bible. It's one of those things that we are encouraged to make the most of. My call to worship this morning was from Psalm 34, which says, I will praise the Lord at all times. And our text tells us, that the birth of Christ came in the fullness of time. I think that term fullness has somewhat the meaning of Romans 5, 6, when we're told that Christ died at the right time. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But what made 
2,000 years ago and a little more now, the right time. What made those times full? What is this time? I think it was Augustine who said, I know what time is until you ask me what time is. Time is one of those things that still puzzles the the scientists and the thinkers uh, today. But you and I know that whatever the scientist, whatever Einstein may say about time and the relativity of time, we know this, you and I must bend to time. We cannot make it move faster, nor can we make it move slower. Although many of us would slow its passage, but despite cosmetics, exercise, and plastic surgery, time will still have its way with us, will it not? Beloved, it is not so with God. Time may rule over you. It may rule over me, but it does not rule over God. You know what a thousand years are to our God but as a day. For time is his creature. Our God inhabits eternity. Time is yet another one of his creatures. He is not subject to its sway. Indeed, it is the other way. He molds the times. He shapes the times as he shapes everything else. There's a great old Christian doctrine that is all too often forgotten today. It's the doctrine of providence. We only remember it on special occasions. Something particularly good happens and we say, oh, God did that. That is true. But we forget that God is at work in everything. Not only the great and grand miracles, but the most mundane and the smallest items of your life and of nature and of the universe around us are subject to the hand of our God. We are told that he works all things after the counsel of his own will. You say, yes, I know this. But why does God work things in this way and not that way and this raises all sorts of questions doesn't it about the bad things that happen but just briefly I want you to think about the time of Jesus birth why was the time full why was it the fullness of time why was it the right time for God for God to send his son In the vast majority of things that happen, we do not know why and we cannot know why and we will not know why until we ourselves are in eternity with God. Now and then, in the events of Scripture, the curtain is pulled back a little bit so that we may see. And particularly with regard to the great and wonderful things about our Lord Jesus Christ, I think we have some hints about the working of our God. The birth of our Lord 
is so demonstrative of the glory of our God. Because it shows indeed how our God worked not in just a few little ways, but in the vast sweep of human history to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Take your mind back 2,000 years ago to the time of the Caesars, the time of Roman civilization. And indeed, civilization in those days was full. There had been great nations, there had been empires before the Romans, but there had been nothing like that which the Romans had built. Their empire reached from the Euphrates to the North Sea. It reached from the deserts of Africa to the forest of Germany. It reached up the Nile, an even more ancient civilization. And in this great empire, there was a common government over an immense area and many nations. There was a common law, whether you were in what is modern-day France or Switzerland or Syria or Libya or Greece and many, many more. Wherever you were, there was one law, one rule. It was a time of great wealth. This is why there were great cities. There was so much wealth being produced that no longer did everyone have to labor literally to feed themselves literally hand to mouth. There was surplus wealth so that cities could be built. And people could leave their jobs, at least for a time, some could. Many could, in fact, and travel. And the Romans made that travel possible. They cleared the Mediterranean of pirates. And they built that great road system, the remnants of which still stretch across Europe today. I myself have seen some of these Roman roads in England straight as one of Euclid's perfect lines. All of this meant travel was easy. It was a full time, therefore, when Christ came for the spread of the gospel. No having your passport stamped every time you came to a new city. No, no one to stop you as you travel the seas. No, Paul and the other early Christians could travel easily, safely. It was a full time for the gospel to be spread. Never before. Could the message of Christ or the message of the grace of God have been taken so easily to so many different peoples? And we know, in fact, that that is what has happened. That in a single generation, the gospel reached to all parts of the Roman Empire. But it was also a time that was full of human achievement. You may have seen in person yourself or at least seen pictures of the great engineering feats of the Romans. Their bridges which still stand, those great aqueducts that stretched over dozens of miles to bring water to their great cities. The great Colosseum in Rome, other great remains. 
It was a day when human technology, I know you think no one had technology before us. They had their technology. It was not on the same level, but believe me, it was in such advance of what had come before. What a feat it was. I mentioned the aqueducts to bring water so far away to a thirsty city. It was a day when science, working through the Greeks, had begun to grow and swell, and their mathematical achievements still stand today. But it was also a day, you know, of great achievement in the arts. Those glorious Greek statues and the Roman copies of them. Those great temples, the Parthenon and so many others that even today in broken and ruined form still stagger our minds. And of course, human literature has really not surpassed what was available 2,000 years ago. The great epics of the Greeks, the epic of Virgil, the Aeneid, the great drama of, of the Greeks and the Romans, of Sophocles and others, great poems, great achievements of historians, all of these things. The time was full to show what men could do. But alas, 2,000 years ago, the times were also full of what men could do in human behavior, in morals and ethics. Time had passed, and even in the greatest and most advanced and most civilized people of the day, There was depravity. On the wide scale, how did that Roman Empire came about? It came about because they sent forth their legions, conquering and to conquer. Spilling rivers of blood. One king whom they conquered remarked, the Romans make a desert and call it peace. They reached out as far as their hand could grasp. and clutched it to themselves. That, so to speak, on the macro scale was the behavior of the day. But dear friends, on the micro scale, the individual behavior, well, if you ever want to read something trashy, read the Roman historian Suetonius and his Lives of the Twelve Caesars. These were the first twelve emperors of the Roman Empire. It is not very edifying. And even today, names like Caligula and Nero are still bywords for debauchery. But it was not only that there was rot at the top. We know from the testimony of the Gospels there was rot all the way down. And I do not mean merely rot in the open and obvious way. Lust, theft, crimes of all sorts. But remember how our Lord was continually condemning the sin of human pride. Of pride that looked down upon others. I mean, what's the point, after all, of self-righteousness if you can't look down on someone? 
And sadly, it seems those people are almost looking down on God. The words of our God after the flood. Every imagination of the heart of man is only continually evil. Enough time had passed for the world to be full of human depravity. And what was the answer of men to this? Enough time had passed. The times were full of the human answer. Paganism had had its chance. The worship of the many gods of the Greeks, the Romans, the Egyptians, and others had had their chance, and they had not purified mankind. They had not cleansed the conscience. Oh, the temples were open, the sacrifices were made, but there was a sterility, an emptiness to them. One thinker remarked of the religion of the Roman Empire, the people thought all religions to be true. The philosophers thought all religions to be false. And the politicians found all religions to be useful. Sometimes things have not changed much, have they? And what of those philosophers I've just mentioned? Philosophy still begins from this era. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. And despite all that's been done since then, we really have not made much advance on what they had to say. They had had their chance. They had had their chance to say what was the answer apart from God. Indeed, Socrates said, I don't want to know just what Zeus says is good. I want to know what is good apart from Zeus. What is the answer apart from God? <laughs> and the answers they gave did not bring peace to the human heart. As Paul said, by wisdom the world did not know God. And what of God's own people, the Jews? Time had passed to show what men would make, even of God's own world. Even those who, as Paul said, were entrusted with the oracles of God, the laws of God. They had shown what would happen, even with the true religion, which left to themselves. It had turned into formalism. Onto being sure that every ritual, ritual was performed perfectly. I recently read a, a book by Professor of Jewish studies at Oxford University in England and it's about Rome and Jerusalem comparing the Roman civilization and the Jewish civilization and their interaction and, and much more and in describing the, uh, the Jewish religion and so on and this man, um, a Jew himself, was, was wanting to speak well of it which I appreciated, he wanted to stand up for his people but everything he wrote merely confirmed the judgment of our Lord Jesus. That what really mattered was seeing that the rituals were performed, that the sacrifices were made, and the heart of the matter. And the words that God himself had given to them 
the heart of the matter. Why there were sacrifices. What they said about human sin. That had been forgotten. And those that were esteemed among the Israelites as the most religious were those that Christ condemned as the most self-righteous and those that were furthest, even further than the tax collectors and the prostitutes, he said, further from the kingdom of God. Friends, 2,000 years ago, the times were indeed full. They were full of human failure. Never was the time more perfect. Because of the work in the hand of our God. For God himself to break in. God did not send another prophet, another Isaiah. He did not simply part another Red Sea. He did not simply send down grand words from on high. When the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son. God himself came. Into the fullness of time. Our God himself broke into the world. What human technology and civilization, even at its highest level, could not do, what the most beautiful and still beautiful today, human achievements and art and literature could not do. What the thinking of the greatest philosophers that have walked the planet could not do. A man born into a backwash of the Roman Empire did do. Because he was not only a man born of a woman, one of us, flesh of our flesh, but he is God incarnate. Humanity had been given every chance by our God to bring an answer. And all was failure. And the time was full for our God to reach in. And to give us his son. To redeem us. To redeem us from the law that we could never keep. But as the Old Testament tells us to instill that law within our hearts. That now not fearfully but gladly. We may obey it. And in his great work, know that he does not merely forgive our sins, not merely break the power of sin in our life, not merely promise to one day remove all sin and to put us into a perfect situation. But in the Son whom he sent, to adopt you as a son or a daughter. The wonderful thing about salvation is it takes in so much. We never let it just stop at forgiveness of sin. 
a great Presbyterian theologian, many years ago said, adoption is the acme of salvation, the top, the pinnacle. How is it that we should be called sons of God? But dear friends, it's the work of our God. And in the fullness of time, he sent his son to bring it. Never underestimate Never belittle the work of your God in history. Never fail to worship and witness to the work of your heavenly Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Let us pray, Father, almighty and gracious God, never can we magnify your name enough that you worked all things together to make it perfect and right for the coming of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, O oh Lord, we truly, from the heart, not understanding, not comprehending, but yet, O oh Lord, thankfully and lovingly cry out to you, Abba, Father, Make us more and more every day into the likeness of our elder brother. We ask it in his name and for his sake. Amen.